Stand-up comic joke it up one time. Fun day. Fun day. I bet you don't even know what song that is. Because, <laughs> like, sets. There, do you, you hear that? Sets. Yep. So, wow. Super different. Sets. That's pretty cool. Sets! All right, this is the podcast Let's Talk About Sets with Harrison Tweed and Jeff McBride. Our guest today is Khalid Rahman. This is a show where we nerd it up over the science and craft of stand-up comedy. Let's get started with our guest's pick from a tight five minutes by Mike Vecchione on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. I live in Queens and my car was stolen recently in Queens where I live. I go to my car, it's not there. I call 911. It took the police two hours to get to me, two hours. They got there, I'm like, officer, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but in the time it took you to get here, I could have watched four episodes of the show Cops. (laughs) (laughs) The cops showed up on horses, everybody, (laughs) to a Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) Nothing says we do not care about your emergency like cops on horses. So I wrote a Yelp review. (laughs) Do you guys know that you can Yelp review your local police precinct? You can write a Yelp review like there are chilies. (laughs) So I'm like, cops showed up on horses to my Grand Theft Auto. You guys really need to update your equipment. (laughs) And I told the cop that. He's like, we put out an APB. I'm like, with what, pigeons? (laughs) Obviously, you're using a Noah's Ark type system (laughs) to get my car back. Then the cop was condescending to me, which doesn't make sense because I look like every cop in their precinct. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, who do you think stole your car? I'm like, I don't know, officer. Are we using the Socratic method of crime solving? Is this an acting exercise? Are you part of an improv team? My guess is somebody who does not have a car. (laughs) Somebody who rides a horse. I reverse the investigation again, guys. I reverse the investigation. Thank you. You guys are beautiful. The worst part is my cop was my car was stolen in front of a really good deli in Queens, so cops were showing up, but they were not showing up for my emergency. <laughs> so I stopped him. I'm like, I called you like two hours ago. My car was stolen. He says, we're not street cops, we're counterterrorism. I'm like, I don't know what that means. He says, if you see something, say something. We are those cops. <laughs> now, when you went to go get your car, what did you see? I said, my car was gone, so I saw nothing. <laughs> He says, you only call us if you see something. (laughs) If you see something, then you can say something. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much. What a solid bit. Mm-hmm. The lid. That is so good. I saw Mike two days after he did that set. I just had to bow down and say, dude, that was masterful. Uh-huh. <laughs> so good. I mean... He that bit like brings together so many things that I love about stand up and that my influences do. For I don't know if you guys notice the repetition in that 
was perfect. Mm-hmm. He repeats so many times that his car was stolen. Yeah. In case you <laughs> forgot what this bit is about, my car was stolen. <laughs> Guys, I went to see my car. It was gone. Like, <laughs> I, I, what did you see? I saw nothing. Like he, he was getting, bringing it back that my car was stolen, which is great. And it becomes funnier every time he repeats it. Yes. It's like a little yes. mini callback that like people aren't even noticing that makes the bit super funny. Um, the whole thing about the... Uh, about the horse just being on the horses like he's just great with imagery Uh um obviously mike is also very mike's really well known for the setup punchline one of the strongest Mm -hmm. joke writers set up punchline in the game throughout the entire bit he's set up punch throughout so it's a story but also it's a series of setups and punches what i love about it is he's so fantastically good at putting setup punch in conversational language you still feel the setup punch structure as it comes through Mm mm-hmm uh, but it's still conversational. Like uh, one of the things that I wrote down is he was like, oh, are we using the so- Socratic method? Yeah. He didn't say that's like the Socratic method. Yes. He said, oh, are we like. His and- word choice is really great. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he chooses words perfectly. And just great, it's great watching him work that stuff out. Like I saw him work um, a lot of that out at the stand. And he kept so much of it the same, but it's just so loose the way he's doing it. It's also, it'd be cool if you could see him doing it because while he's doing this entire set, he's having such a good time. Mm-hmm. He was like smiling at the roots. And then at one point he's turning and smiling at Jimmy. He's smiling at the audience. He's like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm killing this right <laughs> now. Right Which now. I know about murder. Like he's just murdering. Um, one really th- fun thing that really endeared the set to me is that I don't think something that anyone noticed who I talked to about, but if you notice, he makes a little mistake during yes. that part of the joke, completely just ignores it, yeah. keeps going because yeah. the audience Wait, which doesn't part? fucking, the audience doesn't notice. Mm. The part he goes, um, he says, uh, I heard it. My co- my, my cops. But he, he means to say, like, the police... He says, like, my horses or something instead of saying the police showed up on horses. He just... Yeah, yeah. It's a very brief, like, very moment fast. where he just uh-huh. says the wrong word quickly. But he's like a... Ignores yeah. it, breezes right past it, gets right back on track. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, like, stop and, like, be like, <laughs> oh, blow, flub that one. Yeah, you know, you've yeah. seen people do that. You see yeah. people, like, sometimes... You know, on TV sets, been like, oh, I can't speak, or it's, like, something weird. Yeah. But it's, yeah. like, this, that just, like, brings attention to this mistake. <laughs> it's completely, like, not being noticed at all. Oh, no, and that's no. one thing I really try to try to, like, internalize, like... Make a mistake. They don't know it's a mistake. <laughs> it's yeah. a mistake because you know it's a mistake because you wrote it differently. Uh-huh. And that that's really cool to see for like a veteran comic. Just like, not a big deal. The theme today is comedy influences. Comedy influences. And so you picked this bit because this is influential. In what way? I love that he's so... Um, I love, well, I love Mike one as a, a, an influence of mine, just of someone I've seen around New York city since I started doing comedy five years ago, just seeing him, the way he works and his word economy is such a strong influence. So seeing all those things I've seen over those years of watching him come together in this, like, in my opinion, perfect set on the tonight show, mm-hmm. his by far and away, his biggest thing he's done so far, which is really cool to see. Um, and I also just love like a lot of the things he does are things that I, that really influenced me, which is like repetition. Mm-hmm. I think repetition is really funny and he makes it funny. Like he, he keeps mentioning my car was stolen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he just yeah. keeps bringing it back to that funny fact that his car was stolen and that he just didn't, and it wasn't there when he, when he got there. Cause that's just a funny you know, image. Like he gets to this, this man, this big man gets to this space where something's supposed to be there and it's not there. And he keeps bringing that back, which I love. I love hearing you say that it's kind of opening something up for me because there's a thesis element to writing stand-up, right? Here's my, here's the premise. Let's work this out from here on. And I know my premise. 
I know Mm -hmm. my thesis. I'm like, well, I don't want to waste time telling them my thesis again. I don't want to waste time, but that's not, it's not a waste. It's not a waste at all. You do it the right way. way. He repeats so many things during this, during this set, just, just to like, keep people on board with where, he, where he's at because he's yeah. telling a story that he knows is going to be funny but uh-huh. they don't know it's going to be funny mm-hmm. so uh-huh. he's repeating like things again and again also it's funny i probably should have like given you guys a little more of the of this of this clip because he does a callback during that where he says i reversed the investigation when he says yeah. when the cop asked him like oh do you know who might have called in your car maybe someone who's riding a horse like maybe someone's in a car <laughs> uh-huh. that's, I love. that's the, my favorite part of the bit i reversed the investigation is a theme he has throughout that set which again repetition like mm-hmm. he earlier in the earlier in the set he talks about how annoying it is to be at the cashier and you give them a 20 and they hold up to the light and like investigate you. Oh, like yeah. you're a thief. Yeah. And then he, so now when she gives me my change back, I hold the bills up and I invest, I reverse the investigation. <laughs> so he brings the reverse yeah. investigation back. Yeah. He does it like three times during the set. Oh, man. Oh. I love repetition. Uh-huh. I think it's so funny when it's done well. Oh, it and really he's such a good. master of it. So like, he's like a huge influence of mine. It also it's like, also, I want to point this out. It's not just repetition. It's repetition of a theme. Of a funny and, thing. And there's yeah. a very, Variation within sure. that repetition mm-hmm. that makes you're, you're at the same time you're getting something that you recognize you don't have to think about it you recognize it and then the, the the slight twist of the representation provides the surprise element that invokes the laughter response i also think he does something that's really special here which is uh one thing i love about comedy is that it's all about making people or places or things uh, uh seem closer or more alike uh, things in your life. Uh, for instance, I find him condescending the cops so funny sure. and just cause there's nothing funnier than like making an authority figure seem really stupid and just like, uh, like they might as well be clerks. He or, flipped the status yeah. of that, of that interaction. Yeah. 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 It's, he like, seems like, like the head you think detective. you're in charge. No, no, I'm in charge. Yeah. 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 Which I love. Uh, it's also really cool. Like, and another thing that brings kind of back to like what influence, what influences me about Mike, uh, he acknowledges, and I think a lot of people don't do this enough. And it's one of the things that, like, I think is so key to being good at stand up mm-hmm. acknowledging and recognizing how the audience sees you. Yeah. So, like, you look at Mike Beckione, he, he says, one of the first things he says in his set, not in this, he says in his set, I have ultimate fighter head. He looks like an he ultimate does. fighter. And then he says, I look like, it's crazy that they would say that because I look like all the cops in your precinct. Yes. <laughs> and he does in that suit and like with his hair and he's like salt and pepper hair. He's a very short, stocky Italian man. So like he recognizes how the audience sees him. A lot of comics do a thing where they're like, I know I look like such and such and cross with such and such. But like he does it throughout his thing, throughout his, his, his comedy. He just knows so well how he's seen. Mm-hmm. And that kind of informs his character, but also informs how the audience responds to him and what they think is funny coming from him. And it's so funny because, like, you know, sometimes you'll be like, I'll be at a, I go to, um, I go to a show called Comedy Juice, like pretty much every week on Tuesdays at Gotham. And a lot of times they have these comics from Gotham is a major comedy club in New York City. Yeah, and you'll I'll I'll see a certain kind of comic, uh, usually from LA. I hate to say it, there's a lot of great LA comics, but there's a certain kind of LA comic who just gets up there, or just say something <laughs> that is so it makes it so clear that they have no idea how they are perceived. Yeah, <laughs> like and I'll specific I'll specifically see a hot the hot chick LA comic. Yeah, who's like looks amazing, but is not funny. Yeah, and will make a comment about how she's fat, 
or make a comment uh, about how she's a, so how she's a five, and I will look at the audience and see them recoil. Like yeah. the women in the audience want to murder this woman on stage yeah. because they're like, how dare, uh-huh. "How dare you, freaking size four, gorgeous, long-haired, big boobs from LA, come in here and say, I know, like in LA, I'm totally a five. It's uh, like, get the f out of here with that nonsense. You have to realize by the way, thank how you for you're not seen. cursing. I mean, I just I have to bleep those. It takes so long. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. I was not sure if I could curse in this podcast. I'm no, it is. No, seriously, like, this is used for a lot of kindergarten, like, uh, classes and stuff. I keep it PG-13 for the children. children. all right. (laughs) You want to push the envelope a little bit? Thanks, dude. I think the biggest thing, uh, because I act a little bit, and... I think the big it's I know it's not intended to not be Not well though. Not well. Not <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um it's mostly like, for shirts. Mostly mostly, for mostly shirts. pro bono. Yeah. <laughs> for right now. Yeah. But your boy is working his way up. It is funny. It's like it, it will be like uh just but like I'll be like a placeholder. I'll just be what the shirt is, or it will be like a sketch for free <laughs> sure. with a friend, so and it has a bizarre is, ending. And I'm like, what did we just do? Your acting could be replaced with the mannequin. Yes, basically. Okay. Right. Yeah, of course, all acting could be. Yeah. Acting isn't real. <laughs> I, I'm here to say acting is not a real thing. Um, it's pretending. It's per, it's just pretending. Well, the biggest when someone's like, oh, did you act? And then you got in a stand up for some. I know they're they're they just mean it with love, but it's like the biggest thing. It's like, oh, please don't perceive me as someone sure. that wanted to be on TV and then thought doing stand up would help with that. Uh, I don't it just bums me out. Sure. <laughs> it's a really But yeah. yeah, no, I think it's important to like just know how you're how you're perceived. So I, you know? I have a short story on that. Um I for the longest time didn't I didn't I couldn't I didn't know. I just, I didn't get it. I didn't have that awareness. So and then I was doing this bit um that started to get really really good. It's a, it's a crazy weird bit on the fact that I learned that there's a dating website for white nationalists. And I, I was going to say yeah. you obviously are going to go in a direction where you did not realize yeah. you look like a racist cop. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nicest one, guy in the world looks and, like a racist cop. Yeah, Continue. Right. And so so I um anyway I'm doing this this bit where I'm I'm making fun of them and even the very idea that they fall in love and that they are are chasing love through the common ground of hatred and how fucking crazy that <laughs> yeah. is. And uh and anyway so I'm making fun of them and I just see people looking at me in the weirdest look and one time They're like at, you're on that side. And I'm like I go <laughs> Is this because I look like, a, are you being weird because I look like a white supremacist and the place erupts in laughter? <laughs> hilarious. And then I just sit there and I just hang my head and they keep laughing and I go, well, so that's funny. the one. That's, that's the so thing. funny. That's my blind spot. I that look so the opposite funny. of my beliefs. That is a fun there you go. <laughs> thing to learn about yourself. I, you know, I'm pushing 40. Didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. put it together. I mean, That's you so could do funny. 15 minutes on looking like a racist cop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, is that apparent? It's great. I think it just requires a bigger beard to lose that persona, though. I, think, I just think, because then you're Bruce Willis. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, it's important to know how you're perceived. I still, like, sometimes don't know. I think I just come off dumb. So it's like, I can, which is kind of, I used to think was like, like, oh, that means I can't talk about certain things because I look like a goofball that like, I don't know, like might've pushed someone in the locker. Sure. But, um, then when you just contradict what you look like, then, sure. then it's going to be fun. Cause it's also, it's fun to play around with that. It's also fun to just like 
go deep go deep into that direction yeah because if people are already thinking it why not yep. like put it right mm -hmm. out in the open and make fun of it and like have fun and show that you have a sense of humor about yourself right which people love which is the, which is another great thing about mike and about all my influences where basically they have a sense of humor about themselves mm -hmm. and how they're received which is very very important come on let's talk about sex so the theme today is comedy influences, like we said. The first thing I want to tackle is, like, do you remember Do you remember your first stand-up you ever heard? Oh, yeah. It was definitely Eddie Murphy Delirious. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Uh-huh. Um, How old were you? I probably saw 85. I was probably, like, nine. Mm -hmm. I don't know, around there when I first heard it, heard it. I don't know if I heard it when it first came out, but I definitely the first thing I remember. And I just remember it being so funny, mm -hmm. and especially the stuff about his family, mm -hmm. I thought was great. Because I think that's what made Eddie Murphy so great is that, yeah, like you watch Delirious and Raw now, they're very difficult to watch, yeah. especially mm -hmm. in the first 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. He just basically <laughs> yeah. spends the first 10 minutes calling everyone faggots. Right. Yeah. Uh, and while wearing skin tight leather, which is Your hilarious. Your about that is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You have a bit about yeah. that special, yeah. which is great. It's so interesting to watch internalized homophobia play out. Yeah, he's it's saying these things strong. the way he looks. It's just so funny to watch. Like now, I mean, it's, it's also cringeworthy. But at the same uh -huh. time, then he gets he starts getting into his bits, especially in that first one, and Delirious, which I think is still a classic, even with like the problems with it. But his stuff about his family is so accurate. How does and, it influence you today? I mean, I love talking about my family. I love mm -hmm. talking about the characters in my family and how like they're they're offbeat but they're, that they're lovable still. And mm -hmm. that the funny, the things that are kind of like weird and kind of maybe wrong about the way I was raised were also some of the best things about the way I was raised. Um, it's oh, what a great perspective. Yeah. So like, I mean, like I have a bit about how I went to a radical black nationalist middle school and that informs a lot of who I am right now. And it's one of my favorite things to do on stage because people are like, what is this? Because it's a very specific upbringing, a very specific time and place, mm -hmm. Brooklyn in the eighties and nineties, with this like black power plus nation of Islam background, plus all these things mixed together. And then going through school that was very much like, like we didn't play the national anthem. We played the black national anthem. We didn't study regular history. We studied black history. We took mandatory karate every day because quote unquote, in case these white folks get crazy, like <laughs> literally, like that is where I come from. So like, it's fun telling the, and I see audiences. I look out in the audience. It's I did. So I did comedy juice like early this year and I'm looking at this audience of 300 people and so many of them are white folks from sub the suburbs mm -hmm. nearby who are looking at me like, what is he saying? But also like, I want to hear more about this because yeah. <laughs> it's so different. Like, yeah. so I love it when people talk about their, their family and their upbringing because everyone has like a f crazy family. They're kind of embarrassed of mm -hmm. no matter how like picture perfect it seems and digging into what's unique about that is what I love about comedy in a way and the, what i love about the people who influence me especially so one of the things i think that a lot of white people don't get is they don't understand how deep and rich and distinct um black culture is from white culture and how many elements of white culture and black culture have their own thing yeah. what i mean by that is like all the magazines that white people have, there's a black version of that. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them in the black version is just butts. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> just butts. Butts magazine. It's, it's a magazine called Butts Magazine. <laughs> Straight up. Straight oh, up. Man. You see them when you go That's to like in the subway. You're in the subway. They have like, because subway has all those old magazines on yeah. display. Yeah. You'll see magazines names like Butts. Jiggles. There's one called King, which is like the most popular one, uh, which is just great. It's just it's just women and they're celebrating big ass butts, and it's it's, it's a whole. That's that's what it is, you know. So when my uh, so I grew up in I grew up in Montana. Yep. Which. <laughs> 
some white folks. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, You're I like, have, that's it. Yeah. I, have a, I have a joke that I like to say as I'm describing Montana, which is that Montana doesn't have a lot of diversity, but it does have a small African-American community named Jerry. <laughs> yeah, this is Jerry. I worked for like the one black man in my town. Jerry's life is stressful right now. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I went to San Francisco and I ended up marrying a beautiful, wonderful black woman. But I still was like super sheltered. I'm, I was that sort of suburban, Midwestern, Northwestern, whatever you want to call it, white guy. And I had this window into this other world that I would never have gotten before. And I remember the first time I went over to the in-laws house and I looked around at the pictures and art and I couldn't figure out what was different. And I sat there and it just, and finally it dawned on me, oh, there's no white people. Like, and why everything should there be? Was and different? Why, why <laughs> everything is be? different. <laughs> I yeah. remember just having that realization and feeling did have, so stupid. Did they, have, um, did they have a shrine? Like a black history shrine? Uh, I don't think they had a shrine. You'll find that most, well, I found that most um, black people over the age of 60 have a black history shrine. Yeah, my, my grandmother has one. She's had one my entire life. Uh, she's been old as long as I've known her, right? So like, <laughs> she she's been old. She's that, that old that now. Way. She's yeah. ninety, but uh, yeah. she she was old when I met her. Um, and she had the Black History Shrine, which has gained more people over the years. It was very exciting. So when I was a kid, it was Malcolm, uh, Martin, and she had like Sojourner Truth, right? Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, she added Jesse Jackson. Mm. And she added, uh, she added Sharpen. Barack Obama, of course, uh-huh. which is now like one of the centerpieces of the shrine. Right. And you'll find this at like at black homes. You'll find this at like a lot of black owned businesses. There's a place, Tip Top Bar. Where I they like have, that you're, I, like, I, I don't think I knew what you meant when you said shrine. Black history shrine. Now you I got to it. have the black history it. shrine. It's yeah. a big part. I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm going to have to start my shrine soon. <laughs> <laughs> I got to start my black history shrine soon. I'm going to have Flavor Flame. I was the Obama. No, you you know, Al Sharpton, Al Sharpton's on the shrine. Yeah. I'm having fat Al Sharpton, though. None of the skinny Al Sharpton stuff. I need Al Sharpton with the gold medallions and, like, very obese. Uh, the reason I brought this up yeah. was because I think that what you're doing when you talk about the junior high that you went to yeah. is you're giving people that same experience that I had walking into that house. Sure. Uh, yeah. They're just like, wait. I never knew, like, it's this, it's this just, like, cultural blind spot. Why would you ever know? You wouldn't know. It's so interesting hearing you say that because, you know, being a white dude from Montana, not used having one black guy whose life is probably very stressful um, in the town, and then going to San Fran and stuff and seeing this black experience, I went away to, went away to college, and going away to college, because I grew up in New York City, and Brooklyn specifically is very diverse, um, I had not been around white people who were not accustomed to black people mm-hmm. until going away to college. Mm-hmm. So my freshman year for, on my freshman year dorm right on the same floor, I was with this kid, Matt, who was from New Hampshire and Hampshire, obviously very white, but he was from a tiny town in New Hampshire that had like no black people. So his only black people experience was like from TV. Uh-huh. So yeah. like, oh, yeah. I just wasn't used to being around someone like that. Uh-huh. So like as, as, weird as he thought I was, I, I probably, yeah. I thought probably thought he was way weirder. Yeah, of course. First day. Because uh, underneath you know, it is typically this. 
Please don't hate me. Yeah. Please, I, yeah. You hate me, don't you? Hate but me. He just wanted to accept me. it. I remember his first day, he came into me, my roommate. My roommate's also from Brooklyn. He's a six foot six Italian kid, though, from Brooklyn. We went to the same school. We went to the same high school, and we went to college together. He comes into our room. We're like playing. We're, our room was in the center, center of the hall. We're playing Biggie Smalls, blasting it out of our. That was our strategy to get, make friends. We're going to open our doors, <laughs> be the cool kids from Brooklyn in the middle of the floor, and just blast Biggie. <laughs> and people, and it worked. People came into our room. They were like, oh, this is where the cool kids are. Yeah. So we made friends that way. They're like, oh, these are cool kids from Brooklyn. And Matt comes and he's like, oh, you guys like rap? He's like, we're like, yeah. He's like, oh, where are you from? We're like, we're from Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn, that's so cool. Um, do you rap at all? And we're like, we, we thought he was joking, but like he was being dead serious. And, we, yeah. and I was like, no, you know, so busy with like all the basketball playing and the gun gun running. And he started, he like looks at us all confused, and then he starts laughing, and then he got it, and yeah. then like we became friends. Yeah. And it was very, it was really interesting, like being around people who had such a different culture experience mm-hmm. and such a and kind of limited culture experience. Which is why like I really. The older I get, the more I really value and like. I'm happy I grew up here because seeing all different kinds of people. It's weird though because I'm I'm from North Carolina. I was talking to Drew Morgan about this because he's from Tennessee, and we were talking about how when we moved up here, how we realized that like Northeast white people and Southern white people are very very different, very different, and how we it like uh, white Northeasterners, um, and there's everyone's everyone's different. But a lot of times the communities here, like especially in like New Jersey, especially in Connecticut, and I'm sure upstate as well, it's um, a, a black neighborhood, a white neighborhood. Yep. And they are so like there's no integration at all. Yeah. It's almost like I don't I mean, it's it's really weird. But then you go down south and there's so much like racism and and like cultural racism, especially coming from small towns where there is it is mostly white people or all white people. But most cities down south are so in it. Like Durham, where I'm from, is 50% white, 50% black. Yep. And from Amlos. Amlos the Wake Forest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I love that area of the country so much. And I always found it kind of, it was so weird to come up here. And especially if we go to spots like, it, it happens a lot with comedians. I'll, I'll go to a spot like Inkwell. We go to Inkwell all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, Inkwell's great or like five spot or anywhere. And I'll like talk to Freddie. I'll talk to, um, I, I, I remember Pee Wee was there back in the day. I don't know. Sure. Still at, at five spot. Um, and then just, I talked to like Laster, all these people. And it was weird how like white comics from up here would look at me and Drew and some like other people like Rufat, uh, Max and be like, why? are you having a fluid conversation with people that aren't white? Sure. Like it was this weird thing. Yeah. And it's just like this weird. Well, it depends on, it depends on whether you're, whether or not you've been forced to confront race in any way, depending on how you were raised. Like now I wonder how kids growing up in Brooklyn are going to be when they get older, because this is becoming more and more segregated because of gentrification and the spiraling cost of housing. So you have places like Greenpoint and like hipster neighborhoods in Williamsburg and Greenpoint, where it's just all well-to-do white people. Yeah. And they are, they're in Brooklyn, but which Brooklyn are they in? Yeah. I mean, so like, you know, you're going to have a whole different kind of person coming up who's raised there versus being raised in the eighties and nineties when it was like a lot more and a lot more, uh, integrated. And you know, what's even scarier about that is that when you talk, um, uh, when you talk to these people, when you go to like Williamsburg and Greenpoint and they're very well to do and they're very like, uh, and they're, and they think they're thinking so progressively 
And it's very frustrating because they found a way that they can call progressive to shut down conversations about race. Sure. And they found that. And I realized that when I uh, like we've done jokes about this, that hinge, you have a joke about uh, like marrying your wife Mm -hmm. and like how like like just meeting a black family for the first time and like being part of a black family was such an eye opening experience for years. Yeah. And then like we, there's just, there'll be bits that will like not do well because there's in like these Williamsburg rooms Yeah, that be, the hinge on race, but there's nothing racist. There's nothing hateful. It's literally just, you bring up, black or you blowing up white or yeah. Dominican and, or whatever. And then, and then you do the same joke in a black room and it's fucking awesome. No, but it's, but it's terrifying because it's like, okay, you are just tensing up at even the notion that their people right. are different. There's people who shut down at the mere mention of race or gender or anything. Anything that's, anything's a hot button for me to shut down. And mm-hmm. I've seen, you can see it. Some of the, some of the hotter shows even like, yeah, you're just like, Oh, it's wow, like these twilight handle racism. This. Yeah. It's, Cause it's like, what? It's like, you think you're being so good. good. <laughs> you think that this is helping or you're, you put it, even grain yeah. it and it's so scary. And I just look at their faces. And I'm like, Oh my God, please. I'm going to end up in a fucking cupboard. So, <laughs> a cupboard. I don't know. I don't know what hipsters put just, into many, yeah. many pieces. I'm going to put it's, it in a mason no, it jar. It ends up at so. one of their weird meatball restaurants. <laughs> yeah. oh put God, you, I am the meatball. Someone will put you in a hipster stew. <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. We have these influences. We have uh, comedians that really like form the beginnings or the kernels of our, of our sense of humor. And then we start to do stand-up. Sure. And we start to do them. Yeah. When I first started, it's so funny. Uh, someone reminded me of this recently, and I had me dying because I found a tape from when I first, when I, a seven, from 739 Franklin, the late great bar where I had a show. Where we all kind of started doing stand-up in, in, this, in this neighborhood together. Uh, I had a tape of myself, and I was like, oh, look at that. Look at that poor, terrible comedian doing his best Hannibal Burris impression. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one point I was like, people say, Khalid, you can't do so-and-so. And I'm like, yes, I can. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what is he doing? Oh, that's a shitty Hannibal Burris yeah. impression. And it's so funny. It's just you can't help it when you first start because no one knows how to do it when they yeah. first start. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess a few people do, like the prodigies. But most people are just fumbling around when they first start. It takes you a long time to find your voice. And you just think of what is your idea of good stand-up. And that's your favorite person probably at that time. Yeah. He was Hannibal. And that's when he was starting to kind of like become known as a really funny guy. He wasn't like on TV or anything, but he was like known mm-hmm. becoming, he would open for like Aziz and like open for bigger, bigger yeah. people. Eventually started headlining a couple of years later. And it was just so funny to see. And, and now it's, I love going into shows and to mics and stuff and seeing that stage where I was when I, my first year when yeah. I was just clearly doing a shitty Hannibal Burris impression. And, and man, bless their hearts for not telling me <laughs> because yeah. that would have been crushing. But eventually I realized it, which is good because you have to make the mistakes yourself. And I go, I see this one dude who does Sebastian Maniscalco, who is one I of know my, that guy. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Who is, <laughs> who is one of my favorite comedians. So like, I know Sebastian. Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian. I know Sebastian's okay. bits and I know his specials. And to yeah. me, he's like the tops of the tops. Like yeah. the guy is such a strong point of view and he's not for everyone, but he's so undeniable. With yeah. his physical con- he's like, he's what I call a five tool guy. Like, yeah. you know, baseball used to say like, this guy can hit, he can run, he can like hit for average, he can hit for power. Aren't you embarrassed? Yeah. He's just, he's just incredible. Yeah. Um, but I, I see this one dude 
on the scene at the mics doing his he looks he's got his hair slicked back and he's like yeah I'm over here and I'm like dude <laughs> does he even know he's doing it and yeah. I, I think the answer is probably no because you really mm. don't you really it just it's hard to know but I mean I I think people benefit the doubt especially when they're new so I, like I see this guy I'm like man he's doing it it's and I, he's become it's sad but like you get to a certain point where like you've been doing a little bit and you get some success. Um, and you start to like love comedy for different reasons. So like I love watching this dude we're talking about because <laughs> it's hilarious to me that he's doing Sebastian and like yeah. and kind of doing a decent impression of him at times, uh-huh. but like so clearly doing it's great. I want to challenge you on this just a little bit. Uh because I I think I know there have been times where I know I'm doing Louie. Yeah. And I'm trying I uh, like earlier times in particular, of course. But I know I'm doing it. I know I'm putting Louie on to try to do good stand-up and hopefully making it mine. But I still know. I, did you not know it all? At first, no. But, I mean, as I started to, like, as I started to go along, I started to listen to tape. Also, I didn't listen to tape at first. Mm. And that's a really important part of like, realizing, like, oh, you should re- you have a recording recorder on your phone. You should probably record what you're doing and listen back to it to see if it's like, funny at all. We should, oh, we should define this a little bit. Uh, when we say doing someone, we don't mean uh, they're just I think people know we mean bits. imitating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, it, well, comedians Hopefully do. the comedians context is, is clear, imitating yeah. someone. Yeah, imitating uh, their... Just we their, have a non-comic audience. Yeah, too. we do. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. So, yeah we're, interesting. We're, I didn't... You're I imitating, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I didn't know at first. And then I started listening to tapes back, and I'm like, oh, that sounds a lot like... Yeah. And then, then I realized, also a thing I've realized is, like, there's certain people who I love their stand-up, but I just don't listen to them anymore because I don't want any of their vibe to mm-hmm. seep into what I'm doing. Oh, interesting. Because it's so who, Who's easy. that? Well, Hannibal, for one. Okay. Uh, who's who I love because again I love his stand up, um, but I, I just can't really listen because like I don't want I don't want to subconsciously have his vibe like I, his material is not going to sleep sleep into what I'm doing because mm-hmm. I think you get to a certain point where you realize uh, you just have a clear wall in your head like you obviously don't do other people's material mm-hmm. and you just know that but like someone's also mannerisms their someone's essence. mannerisms their essence you don't want that in your stand up so like mm-hmm. so him Baron Vaughn anyone who's too close to what like I kind of do a little bit like i'm not saying like i'm as good or but anyone whose style is kind of close to what i'm doing mm-hmm. i don't like i don't like to really listen to watch because it's like and i've heard other people say that too like pete holmes you know he listened to his podcast he doesn't he doesn't watch um brian regan brian regan is a hundred there's a bunch of guys yeah. like brian callen he doesn't watch those guys because he's like i'm a clean comic who's around the same he just doesn't he doesn't. He doesn't want their their vibe to sneak into what he's. I love how excited. I love how excited you got. It was almost imperceptible. You said Pete Holmes. Uh, let, uh, you make it weird, and he and Harrison goes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just kind of <sighs> came a little bit. Well, I it's I great. just know it's so fun because he's one of those dudes for me that's kind of like that. When's the last time you went on a date with Pete? <laughs> yeah, there's this like, an ongoing joint that I, I want to marry him. I met him the, the year before I started doing stand up. Really? It's a great night. I met him and Chelsea Peretti, same night, New York Comedy Festival. Really? Oh, wow. Same day. Peretti. The same oh. day I listened to so funny. her interview him for his 200th episode. That's it was so, episode. so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I got, like on the way there, I was listening to it. Then I met both of them, and he was a really nice guy. That's bizarre. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, that's okay. He, but he was, that's so funny. Cause Pete Holmes is, he wasn't the, my initial influence to do stand up, but he was, I got, I had got to New York. I took like two, I, I had done it in Syracuse and done stand up. And then I got to New York and my girlfriend didn't visit me and broke up with me. 
Like as I, so I just felt like alone. I had no confidence. I didn't know how to navigate the city. I was just living alone. Didn't have any friends. And I was just like, I don't, I started going to mics and I was like, I don't think I'm funny. I don't think what I'm saying is funny. I feel like what I'm saying is hateful and like towards my girl. It's like all coming from like anger and stuff. And I was like, this isn't even like the kind of, like, this isn't why I thought I'd be good at stand up. And then I, like maybe like me and my roommate just turned on TBS after Conan. And then it was when the Pete Holmes show was on. It was like the first episode. Oh, and yeah. he did an entire bit about how he went to Enrique Iglesias concert by himself. And I was like, I did not know you could be a happy stand up. Yeah. Like I did like a happy, like hard selling on yeah. happiness guy and like guilty pleasure happiness. That's a great moment to realize that stand up can be whatever, can, whatever you want it to be. It, then when you said that, yeah, I, I just feel Where like. put it. It's such an important thing to be like, no, no, you can be who you are and be funny. If you're funny and you're being who you are, it's going to be so much better. Because also New York, New York can really drag you down into this. Like, oh, I guess I have to be dark one liners. I guess. Or, I, I, do I hate myself oof. enough for this to be good? <laughs> it's also. Yeah. It's also like. It's oh man, I know what you're saying about trying to fit into a box. Yeah, it's it's really refreshing to see people being who they are and yeah. so clearly authentically are because i also feel like the audience can sniff it out when you're not yeah like when you oh for sure especially at the beginning like that la comic girl you talk you're talking about like oh i'm so fat or whatever yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but but at the same time it's very it's very um it's very easy to uh it's very easy to like do what you think is supposed to be stand up Mm -hmm. because that's just what everyone else is doing or what you see is like getting ahead and everyone kind of falls into that a little bit too when they start they're just like you know fumbling around but like trying on different personas Mm -hmm. saying things that are way edgier and rougher than you would ever think to say or things that are way happier and like hardly welcome than when you actually feel inside so it's cool when you see someone really coming into their voice and being like oh that's who that person is and letting it show on stage really want to say this is how i really feel yeah as opposed to, this is how I think I need to present myself so that I can get the effect I want. Yeah, it's like a PowerPoint yeah. if people are doing it. Like, the other way. It's yeah. just like, I see it. This PowerPoint is your, comedy? That's yeah. why the, sometimes, like, when I go to a room, I'm just like, nope, this isn't constructive. We're just agreeing with each other today. Like, this is an agreement room. This isn't, like, a think about it's it. It's good when people notice that, too. Yeah. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Khalid Rahman is a stand-up comedian in New York City. He's Brooklyn born and raised, a rare native. He is completely free of mustache wax and does not ride a unicycle. He is the real <laughs> <true>. deal. <laughs> All true. He's performed at the Accident. Can't even grow a mustache, son. <laughs> what you know about that? What you know about no mustache? <laughs> you call me son. <laughs> he's performed at the Accidental Comedy Festival the Brooklyn Comedy Festival, and he's been accepted into the upcoming Cinderblock Comedy Festival. All of these are Can't a wait. big deal in their own right. On top of all of that, he is a contributor to WNYC, the New York City NPR station. For them, he's been a host for their election night special. He also hosted the wrap-up event for NPR's There Goes the Neighborhood podcast, a show about gentrification in New York. And he's performed on Dear President, What You Need to Know About Race in America, which I'm sure is playing on a loop in the Oval Office as we speak. (laughs) Trump's got it down. He knows the black man. (laughs) He's got our support, but not at all. (laughs) It's We we did... Why just pressed a button and recorded you doing this brilliant thing for the nation a while back. Oh, that was a mock 
TV coverage shot from a bunker of uh, two black anchors yeah. saying that they predicted Trump would win, and it was like that he won that night. And this was like two months before the election, oh, or a month. Dude, I can't. I can't even watch that anymore. Oh, I know. I. It's so accurate. It's it's, it's so, so disturbing. It's like, oh, what man. was the first thing? It was like it was, it was like really? shocking white people, but black people saw it coming a mile away. Yes. Trump is the new president. I was like, yes. God, it really it. Oh, it's so it sad so to watch now. It was. We, we recorded we were like this is hilarious and then like November 9th we were like this is terrible <laughs> I, mean, I want this scrub from the internet <laughs> one of the most important lessons I ever learned in stand up was that and I can't believe I didn't know this before is that Things have to be okay for people to laugh. Like yeah. the end of the joke, it, things for the most part, it has to be ultimately okay. And the problem with that joke, the problem with that bit is that th- if you're on that side, it's not okay. Well, there's so also not a good joke anymore. While we were recording it, like it didn't look like it, but there's definitely a chance that it was not going to be okay. I mean, I, I feel bad. Like I did another one of those uh one of those things for the nation where I basically like was calling it like it was over. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, you guys are all wet in your beds. So 538 says there's a 98% chance of Hillary. I was like so cocky and like mm-hmm. arrogant about how Trump went. And now I'm watching it and just like my head in my hands. It's so, and that's, that's actually the, the bigger problem now in general with like political humor, because the reality is not funny. The reality of what is happening mm-hmm. in our country right now because of what's happened this election and where the Congress is is very scary and not funny for a lot of people. Yeah. And so trying, to, trying to make that, I mean, there's very skilled comedians making fun of it and making funny things out of it. But when people really get down to the basis of it, they're like, oh, but this is still a living nightmare. And this is still an ongoing emergency in our country. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's hard. You go, on the, you go on shows. Like, I go on bar shows now and just even comedy club shows. I might be the fourth comedian up and then like the three or four, whatever before me have talked about Trump and to varying degrees of success. So it's a problem. It's a really strange opposing set of forces because on the one hand, uh, people who go to shows, they want you to release the pain and pressure of, of um, the current political climate because of where most New Yorkers sit. Um, They want you to release that pain and pressure by making fun of it. But at the same time, it, the opposing pressure of that is they're sick of hearing about it. They want to get away from it for a little while. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. Yeah. I've come. To, I've kind of come to think that most people don't want to hear about it. And yeah. I think that a lot of yeah. comedians yeah. just tell themselves that people want to hear about it because it's such the obvious biggest thing in the news, and because they really want to talk about it. So it's like wish fulfillment, basically. Literally, when they went to the bathroom, they looked at their phone and they got two news updates about what Trump did while they were sitting. Like it's so bad. Like he is the most like notified uh, or present I've ever seen. Like sure. where every day there's like four tweeting five. things. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals Oof. where uh, it's, oh man, it's an ongoing conundrum. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> it's like, yeah. how do you handle it? You know, I just want to get to know a little bit more. Like, so why stand up for you? I mean, everyone has a dumb origin story. I think, uh, I, I always love comedy. Um, well, great. My question's stupid. Oh, All right. I mean, I mean get it. no, I'm singing, you know, like everyone's story is kind of like silly. Uh, I mean, some of them are good, but mine is silly. I, I always love comedy. I was like, a, I was a class count clown in school. Um, I wanted, I, I got the idea of maybe doing stand up after I saw that Aziz show. I'm like, this is, this looks, looks like so much fun. Also, you can make it whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. But then it took me years to get up to the nerve, but then I was my, the best man at my best friend's wedding. Um, mm-hmm. and I wrote a lot of jokes in mm-hmm. the speech yeah. and, yeah. um, 
I, you know, I, it was a huge wedding, 300 people. I, you know, 300 people. That's like, that's a theater. That's still one of the, <laughs> maybe like the second or third biggest crowd I've ever been in front of for any yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would call it, I uh, got up there and objectively it fucking crushed. Mm-hmm. Like the speech did really well to the point where people afterwards coming up to me, like that was so funny. Did you do stand up? Oh my God. Like yeah. I was like the star of the wedding. Even oh though the bride. My God, so I was like, hilarious. Oh my God, this is, it, my, I was like walking on air. Like it was like electricity through my veins. I'm like, this is, this must be like what heroin is like. Like I was, <laughs> I was talking crazy mm-hmm. talk throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the night. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta try stand up. I gotta try stand up. Took me another year to get the nerve to go to open mic right. and try it. So scary. Went to the open mic. Ate my dick. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I was, it was so much harder than I thought it would be. What was be. the first mic you did? Uh, it was down the street at a place that doesn't exist anymore from my place here in Crown Heights. Um, Jim Search, this comedian who's still around, mm-hmm. he ran it. It was, a week, it was a weekly mic on Wednesdays. And I went there and I, I got two laughs. And then afterwards, I got berated by a woman I'd be ta- I've been talking to oh. beforehand who was a civil rights lawyer who said I was setting Muslims back with my hateful c- joke about Islam. And I'm like, uh, you do know this was my first time my doing first this. Time. As we as we spoke about beforehand, she was like, it doesn't matter. You do, you have a responsibility. I'm oh like, woman, I am a rank amateur. She tracked me down down the street at a different what? venue to yell at me. It was no. crazy. It was crazy. That's, that's not a dumb my story. My first, my first, night, awesome my first yeah. night was also my first like heckle and like like freaking you know, You're talking a to and a heckler. It was nuts. Yeah, yeah it was what? really nuts. And a lawyer. That but was I a still, even though I <laughs> a lawyer too. Crazy. No, no. She was a civil rights lawyer. I yeah. cannot move past this. Hold on a second. That she is, was there, and she was there to see her friend, who also was his first time doing stand up. Oh it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> that was also terrible. It was Khalid, crazy. Khalid, that is so far from a dumb story. Uh, that I is yeah. single handedly the best. First time was, on stage story I've ever heard because I think I think of it as not being great because I have such a, a not fond memory of it. Such an unfond, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I hate this memory of it. like. Well, I don't. I don't actually. It was. It's good. It actually was funny. It's good in a way that that happened because from the very beginning it told me, hey, maybe pay attention to what you're saying up there because <laughs> you know seriously, like yeah, it's yeah. Just a, it seems like a very like obvious thing, but it's not so obvious when you start. And, yeah. and, and the things that I said in hindsight were pretty stupid. And like not not very not, well no not funny but also just like not very well thought out and kind of offensive but at the same time it was funny I was making fun of my background right. I was making fun of my yeah. Muslim upbringing and she was like Ugh. it was really interesting um, but that's like how why I got started doing it and that's the the thing that I think early comics don't know is that when they do anything that's kind of shocking they don't realize that what they're really doing. They think that's the easy way to get laughs. But really what they're doing is they're setting the hurdle they have to clear with how funny what they're saying is higher for themselves. And so the, and if you don't clear it, people are fucking pissed because all you ended up doing was filling their brain with something they didn't want to hear and you didn't deliver on the second part, which is that they laugh. I remember, so it's yeah. harder. It's I remember harder. Uh, when, I, when I first started, I was talking to – I don't know who I was talking to. I might have been talking to like – I don't know who I was talking to. It was a veteran comic though. It was like maybe – I don't know who it was. But they were like, yeah, first year comics should only be allowed to talk about iPhones. Uh, <laughs> like, no, no abortion, no rape, yep. no, no yep. none of these tough, yeah. none of these hot buttons for yeah. you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. You get yeah. iPhones yeah. and you get jerking off. Yeah. That's all you get. It was so, it was so funny. I was like, accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. great. Because, so you know, it is when you, when you start tackling tougher subjects, it is a little, it it's a lot so rockier. Funny to make it you got to be funny. You got to be so funny to overcome that, that, that hurdle. And it's great. The payoff is great. The laughs are so much 
much bigger if you can build that tension with the shock and release. I mean, like, it's so the laughs are way bigger. So sure. they're going for that white whale, when, but they're hunting that white whale with a fucking toothpick. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. Oh, it sure. Is such a great story. Laugh at my pain, man. <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. Let's play a bit by Khalid. Yes. Speaking of influences, see what those influences have created. What do you want to call this bit? I think it's just like uh, about being black and Muslim. All right. This is from Khalid at the stand. I shouldn't complain, man. It's tough being black and Muslim. I shouldn't complain. My younger brother is black, gay, and Muslim. (laughs) (laughs) The day after the election, I called him up and I said, hey, bro, you might want to drop one of those. All right. I love that joke. Thanks. I love there's a a lot to it, actually. Mm. Uh, Tell me about the genesis of that bit. Oh, it was like the second part of another thing where I just talk about posting stuff on YouTube and getting like messed up comments from people. Mm -hmm. Like this one guy said, I want you to go back to where you came from. And I'm like, man, I'm confused. (laughs) It's like, it's got racist, Islamophobic. (laughs) one of those people who really hates Brooklyn. <laughs> and, uh, and then I just talk about my, my, how I, you know, but that's not bad compared to my brother, you know, who's black, Muslim, and gay. You know? right. And it, it is, I like to talk about um, my family. I like to talk about my, my point of view, especially in this time, like that we talked about earlier. Um, it's hard to know how much of what's happening in the news you should address on stage. But one thing I definitely believe is I mean, it's it's not the fairest thing to think, but sometimes when I go, a lot, most times when I go to a show and I see someone who looks like me and they have absolutely nothing to say at all about anything current events wise, I just think it's a little weird. <laughs> I just think it's weird. How, I don't so? Think, How so? I don't think it's, it's every black comedian's responsibility to talk about politics or Black Lives Matter or Trump or all these other different things. But I think it's a little bit strange when you don't address it at all. It's just like... I feel like I've said this this before because I feel like in this climate um, with like the specter and like the reality of white supremacy in our highest office, like black for black people, like our lives are political, Mm. you know, like it's literally like, you know, life or death for us. A lot of, a lot of what's happening. Like we have, you know, we have a attorney general who doesn't really think there's any problem with the police. And that's the real crazy yeah. situation mm-hmm. that's a, a real a reality for us so there's so many things happening um that are not so great uh that i think so, so when, a, about. when a black comedian gets up there and doesn't acknowledge it in any way for it, you it feels a little bit weird for me i i don't think it's bad i don't i don't, ju- I don't judge that. i'm not just, hearing bad i, I'm I think it's, it's we it just feels a little bit weird <laughs> it feels a little bit because i think especially when especially in these spaces where um, a, lot of, a lot of comedy club audiences in terms of the mainstream comedy clubs in, in this city and around the country are just like a lot of like heavily white audiences. Yeah. So you're a black person in a white space and to completely just abdicate any, any mention of anything political or anything racial is kind of strange to me. Um, so... I touch on it quite a bit more. Than, you think probably it, more than most. Probably more than I should. You're compensating probably for them. more than I should to be to try to be successful in this business. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's I think it's just something I'm passionate about. It's what gets. It's what I think leads to me to funny thoughts, and I think I can't help but to 
talk about those things. Um, and you can, and you can talk about whatever you want on stage, but at the same time, it's like, what will be marketable? What will be like, <laughs> what will be, you know, something that, oh, I know. that's acceptable. And it's same, you know, it's, it's one of those ugly things to say, but it's something we all think about because you, you don't do stand up just for no one to hear it. You know what I mean? You're doing stand up so that a lot of people can see it because you have funny things to say. We just had a long talk about this, uh, um, with Peter Ravello and yeah. about how hard it is to, if you will have something you want to say, but you're at this level, um, you kind of need to really bury it a little bit if you want to get into the clubs, because if you're divisive, it's harder for them to be willing to, to bring you on. Um, and it, See, I disagree with that. I oh, think really completely. Well, I think you maybe have to, it's a little different from our, I think you have to be undeniable period doesn't matter what your what your subject matter is if you are undeniable you will be in at the clubs you are speaking my language uh but at the same <laughs> but, at, but at the same time like there is some political things to that too mm-hmm. so like you can be undeniable but not have management and that's a hard that can that can be a struggle to get into some places but if you're undeniable and you work really, really, really hard. And I, I mean, yeah, people like to say, oh, we all work hard. No, nah, some people don't work that hard. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're undeniable and you work hard and you make your own things, that's a, I think that's the formula for success. You're well, undeniable, I, you, you work really hard, and you make your own shit. Like, you don't, you don't wait for other people to, like, I, say, hey, you can come be in my club. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I would love to believe that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have not heard that feedback from bookers and comedy club owners. What they have said specifically is that they don't want stuff that splits the room. They've said specifically that what they don't want is people, that, what that their job is to make everybody laugh and not alienate people who come here just to have a good time with a political message. And so um, I, I, I got to say, and I've talked to other comics who have that same experience, and I get the undeniable element, I get that, um, but there is this other thing out there. Sure. I mean, I, I, I mean it'll vary, I'm sure, from city to city and from room to room. Uh, but I just know so many people who talk extensively about what's happening in politics, what's happening with race, what's happening with, and they're killing it because they're yeah. so good. They just can't be denied. Nori Davis, Yamanika Saunders, like people like John Laster, like these are people who just talk Hadia Robinson and they're killing it. But I, then you didn't hear the first part of what I said, which is that people that my level, yeah. <laughs> like, like, which is that, um, I'm not undeniable, you know, like it's, and, and, and it's, but that's the whole point time. is to become undeniable. Like you can't expect things. You can't expect of course, to be of in course. anywhere without being undeniable. I get so that. like, so that that's the whole thing. I think you know, our whole job is just to become undeniable. Like mm-hmm. that's one of, the, one of the best advice I ever got. It, Chloe Hillier told me that she's one of the funniest comics working today. She works all over the place. She's Last comic standing and VH1 and all these things and she's on the road and she's just like our job is because I was complaining to her privately. I'm like, um, I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. I'm doing well in these shows, but I'm not getting booked in these other things. I'm not getting to comedy clubs. She was like, worry about becoming undeniably funny and that it will work out. She's like, you've been doing comedy for a little less than five years. Don't don't be patient. Keep working hard and you will be fine. And that I think that's that really is what comes down to worry about becoming undeniable and like all these other things. They won't matter. I, I kind of feel, well, I feel like it's short game versus long game, which is like, you want to have, you want to be able to do both. You want to be able to go to a comedy club and crush for those people that just came to watch. And you want to have the material that is, it comes through you and you are so funny yourself that 
they can attach themselves to it and they, like anyone can. So that, so it works in the clubs, but you also want to be writing and making all this shit that is important to you. So that when someone's like, I want you to do this show, you're the perfect fit for their audience. Or like, I want you to do this TV spot. It's the perfect figure for your audience. I've seen it. I mean, me and my, my, um, uh, I guess writing partner on like scripted stuff, Leclerc, we just had a, we recently had our first, pitch meeting with a production company for a TV show idea we had. Cool. And they liked what we were, what we were doing, but, but they were also like, well, how about this other thing? And yeah. we were like, but you said you liked the other thing. And they were like, but what about this other thing? And afterwards, we were trying to figure out, like, what just happened? Like, they really liked, they said they liked what we were doing, but at the same time, they were like trying to get us to do something different. Uh-huh. And then at, at, afterwards, I was like, was it too... I don't know. I don't think it was edgy what we were doing. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't like. They just really didn't like what we're doing. They said they did, but uh, you have you always wonder like what what about it wasn't um, wouldn't maybe appeal to the audience they wanted. Yeah. And uh, was it so? It's it's just hard to it's hard to like balance between what you want to do and what you're like what you're saying. Like what would be like what will appeal to most people? What would be be marketable? That kind of to, thing. To Harrison's point, it when you're not undeniable yet you still need to get in front of real audiences. And so I almost, I, w- I wonder what you think about this. It, it's almost like that more divisive split the room stuff. If I'm not, if my skill level isn't there yet to do that, trying to do it when it's not there limits my, ab- my ability to get better because I can't get in front of real audiences. Well, that's, that's not true because you can get in front of real audiences by doing your own things. Like we were talking about before. I'm talking we- about comedy clubs. Oh yeah. But that, again, that's... That's a very like I mean I don't know I found that like, if you were in LA for example that'd be a very small piece of the pie of your stage time mm-hmm. because there's just not that many comedy clubs there and there aren't many, there aren't that many comedy clubs in most cities New York we are very lucky we have a ton here but and again like you're saying there's different like hurdles to getting into them but there's tons of non comedy club spaces to perform and like there's people who have gone completely around the comedy club system and are crushing it right because they were just like i'm not getting any love from these clubs let me make my own amazing mm-hmm. weekly show mm-hmm. and then turn that into a podcast and now next thing i know i've blown up into this amazing thing i have people i know people who are doing it right now Casey I was on- is Solengo. we had him in last week he didn't do much of club. He they we, they wouldn't put him on, and he just is just did a half hour is doing an album. Absolutely, and the clubs are not the only route at all. Phoebe Robinson and Jessica Williams. I mean, yeah, Phoebe. You know, I Jessica obviously was on the so great to hear. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> so awesome. The young ladies who uh, whose podcast I did yesterday, Marie Faustin and in uh, Sydney Washington. They have the unofficial expert podcast. They have an amazing hot. Uh, weekly, uh, monthly show that's separate called the warm up. Then they have the unofficial, unofficial expert live. Those girls are on NPV. Those girls don't have management. They're just doing their own things. They're not past at comedy clubs. Right. And this whole idea that like comedy just happens at a comedy club is such an old idea. Yeah. Such an old fashioned way of thinking about it. Like I, I, I plan on trying my best to go around that whole thing so that I'm never dependent on it. I would love to be past at comedy clubs and I do try to make inroads into those things. Like I'm in, in touch with comedy clubs and hanging out at comedy clubs. But at the same time, I've seen so many people who just aren't in that system and never were and are very successful without it because the, the, the landscape is changing. It's, awesome, it's not yeah. 1979 anymore. It's not 1994. You know what I mean? Like there's different places. There's people who, who do tours where they just play rock venues and they yeah. sell them out. You know what I mean? So... You know, I mean, there's, there's different Thanks, ways man. to go. Appreciate, I appreciate it. the perspective. It's really yeah. great. It's great to hear. Come on. Let's talk about sex. 
I want to talk about your bit a little bit. We, we just, we haven't really oh, dug sure. in. <laughs> haven't really dug in and, I, and I want to, you say, I shouldn't complain um, because he's black, gay and Muslim. Then Trump got in office and you should drop one of those things. So that's, it's real simple, right? But what I like about that for me is that there were a number of realizations that happened after that moment. Right. And I think I heard the audience make those same realizations. It was both, I think, at the same time, what um, Brandon Scott Wolf would call a hard and a soft punchline. It's a hard punchline. Drop one of those things. Ah, That's funny already. But then it's soft because if you think you have to it's a thinker, you have to think about it for a second because there's really only one you can drop. Right. You, could, you couldn't drop the other two. You have to sit there and like, like oh, oh, well, okay, I guess there's one he could do. He's stuck with the other two. <laughs> but then if you, dwell, if you dwell on that too too long, it's like, God damn. It's like that's how Muslim people feel in this country right now. Right. That's how hostile right. the environment is right. for Muslim people. Not just not to mention the part about just like being a gay person. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. not a ball of, of, of laughs either. You know what right. I mean? So like, so yeah, and like, like I was saying before, the people who I'm into talk about real things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my earliest Me influence, too. Chris Rock, I mean, like, in, in college, like, we would just memorize bigger and all those things, bigger and blacker and bring the pain. And he talked about real stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, it's just. George those, Carlin was my number one early influence. Yeah. So, like, I want to talk about real stuff. And I think that, and at that moment, it was, this was February when I taped that. Like, it was still stinging so raw about everything, like, the inauguration that mm-hmm. happened and, like, all the horribleness had begun, you know, with these appointments, this mm-hmm. horrible cabinet that was being assembled. It was just like, oh, this is what's coming. Hundred days of glory. You know, it's just, and it was, it was terrible, and it still is terrible in a lot of ways. What's happening with the government? So, I want to talk about those things in a way that I think is funny. Like, it got a big, it got a big laugh, but at the same time, like maybe people will think about that. Like, yeah. oh man, yeah, it must suck to be to feel like you're not wanted in your own country because you're a black, gay, and Muslim. So. um, Again, yeah, like I like to talk about real stuff, but hopefully in a funny way. I want to talk about silly things in a smart way and smart things in who, a silly who way. Who exemplifies that for you? Chris Rock? The person who actually said that quote I just said, because <laughs> I'm not going to pass it off as my own quote, was Moshe Kasher. Ah, oh, Moshe, nice. that's his whole philosophy on comedy, and that's what I try to, I try to do as well, as, much, as best I can. Um, but Dave Chappelle is by far and away, in my opinion, to me he's the best. I oh, think he's the GOAT. Um, I think he's the greatest ever. And he talks about <laughs> he talks about serious things in the silliest way yes. and the yeah. best it's possible genius. way. It's and genius. I love him. I, and, I, and then he's, I think you really know you love someone's comedy, especially nowadays, where they say they can say terrible things. Mm-hmm. And he said some legitimately, I feel, terrible things in yeah. his last stand-up special, <laughs> the the two-parter, um, they yeah. just been in Deep and Hard Texas. That things that just kind of like made me feel like, oh, this is like a dude who's kind of similar to the black dudes at the barbershop I go to who just isn't up with this like new dude, new social justice way, you know, kind of like liberal way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I disagree with a lot of some of what he said, but at the same time, he's so, he's, he's undeniable. He's Mm -hmm. so undeniably funny Mm -hmm. that you're like, oh, that's messed up. (laughs) Like that's messed up. I I found myself saying that's messed up. (laughs) But but after I laughed several times toward the end of that first half of the special. That's my favorite thing. It was so weird. Being being forced to laugh against my beliefs. Yeah. And that's, you can do that to me. Well, that's what like, you know, my influence is Patrice (laughs) O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah. This dude, one of my favorites, he's got a whole room. I mean, I looked, you looked around at elephant in the room, the audience It's mostly women. 
and they yeah. are dying at the legit straight up like sexist shit he's saying yeah, yeah, yeah. and it is but he's so undeniably funny mm-hmm. and also yeah. there's such a kernel of truth in all the little things he's saying like yeah. about human nature that like people are like this is messed up but i gotta laugh because he's so funny yeah. <laughs> you can see that look on people's faces and i love that look and i think that's like you know and louis says like stand-up should be this thing that people talk about in dirty basements and say things that are kind of messed up in front of drunken audiences and i think that's kind of what it is it's yep. like this rough tumble thing so um i like your approach because i feel like sometimes people just get hung up on like no no it's about being funny and then some people are like no you can make statements too and they're like no 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 you can't do i like your approach which is like i hope they take something away from this but just as is i hope they just laugh in the moment i hope they laugh. absolutely want people to laugh first and foremost Mm -hmm. i i would I hate this was one thing that happened recently. Well, I, you know, I got injured recently. So I've been on stage. If I hurt my knee, I haven't been on stage. Hopefully I'll get, get back on stage later this summer. But my last performance it went really well. It was at the, a really good show um, called the secret loft in Bushwick. And there was one moment that made me cringe so bad after it was going well. I did a bit that I've done a bunch of times and afterwards people were like, were laughing, but they were also clapping. And I was like, Oh, Clap, oh. clap, get that, get the fuck out of here with that clapping bullshit. I was what so was bit like, talking about it was, it was the, um, oh man, it was, I just, I think I said like, I don't even know where Why it do was. you hate it so much? Cause I don't ever want to be one of those people who gets up there and just says people, things that people agree with mm-hmm. and that's why they like like it so they clap instead mm-hmm. of laugh mm-hmm. i hate clapter i freaking hate it i think it's <laughs> i think it's, it's unless one it's of the, like an ovation kind of thing that's not but that's to me that's different applause, applause break, break yeah, an applause yeah. break is different than than clapter yeah yeah so yeah. an applause break sometimes a joke is oh, so brilliant it's just like snaps right laugh well. laugh <laughs> huge laughs but then like an applause like i see what you did there yeah yeah, yeah. but then this is clapter thing it. it's, it's almost it. the clapter is almost always based on a social or gender or political point of view that you've expressed mm-hmm. that the crowd in front of you clearly agrees with mm-hmm. yeah and they don't they skip right past laughing and just clapping can like, i get an amen yeah, good for you good for you for agreeing with this thing we mm-hmm. all agree with because we're in liberal bushwick and we all drink kombucha and we all believe in the same set of bernie sanders principles <laughs> i was like oh please tell me i'm not becoming that person so i went home and like looked at my set and i'm like damn is that what happened but i was just like i don't, I don't know sometimes things happen and they're out of your control but at the same time i was like what did i have to do with that and I don't know. I, if, you, if I see too much of that, then it's like, oh, I got to adjust my material. Yeah, <laughs> like, this yeah, is yeah. bad. I don't want to just have people clapping. Because you see, you see this, this specials of that now. Yeah. There's some specials you're watching. It's just like, oh, these are, these are just people preaching to the choir in front of people who disagree with everything you're saying. And they're well, just clapping. Well, that's what Carlin turned into, kind of, like what his later specials. Oh, totally. Which is, I mean, it's fine. He it's Carlin. It. He, he earned it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's just like. I don't know people, Carlin well enough to say that. But also, I feel like. I feel like not qualified to say that. <laughs> like he's a legend. Uh, but see, I mean, you can obviously you can obviously criticize someone's comedy. They're great. Oh but, no, um, I wasn't. I don't even think. Of I it just don't like, know his stuff well enough. But yeah, it's he got to a level where it's like, oh, we're agreeing with everything you're saying, and we're your fan base, so you can just do. And whatever you want. also, he had the gravitas. And he was such a great thinker that what it ended up being was really deeply philosophical. And it spilled over into that, and but people were fine, and then he and then he'd alleviate it all with a great dick joke, uh, and but yeah, neither here nor there. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. No, and it also, then it also happens when people get 
to a point where sometimes they get so big that they're only performing for their fans. And you see that with some recent specials too, where where people, this person has clearly become such a huge person. Everyone in that stadium was their fan, and the jokes maybe aren't as good as no. pre- as previously. But people were just so happy to be there, and they paid. Also, they paid one hundred fifty dollars to be there. I when you pay one hundred fifty dollars, <laughs> you force yourself to have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever see that? You see someone oh at a, like, God, a concert, yeah. and the concert's not that good. Seen... But you know it's expensive. They're like, yeah, this is fun. No, yeah. it's not. No, no, <laughs> that's too much money. Forty dollars yeah. a bus. I I always like to play. Whenever I'm, people are like, Dan Cook sucked. And I'm like, listen to this. And I'll just play a clip of Vicious Circle. And it's women screaming at him before he like performs at all. And I'm like, how could you make good comedy in that environment? How could anyone, if that was your entire fan base, how could you even bounce off a good, because his first well, album is great. He got beatles yeah, you got Beatles. Well, Steve Martin said he's kind of stopped doing it exactly. because he just didn't know what was funny because people just loved him so much. Hilarious because Steve Martin gave him Born Standing Up and wrote, you're the only person that will understand all of this. Wow. To Dan Cook, which is such a fascinating, weird thing. Come on. Let's talk about sex. I'm going to play a bit that I chose. This is one of the most influential bits for me. Uh, and I want to give just like a little bit of history for it because this is a bit of ancient history. Um, so uh, this was... Right after, this was in, I think, 2003, United States was in the throes of the biggest na- nationalistic upswell that I think we've seen since World War II, which was after 9-11, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. When I, I, I left the United States to go study abroad, that's when 9-11 happened. Uh, so it was like 2000, 2001. And then I came back and the, the country I left and the country I, re- I returned to were very, very different places. Um, and Montana, for sure, was garage doors with the American flag painted on them. Like there were flags everywhere. And I was just like, what the fuck is this weird? This is such a strange thing. And I remember driving the six-hour drive from Missoula, Montana to Billings, Montana, and listening to it and then playing it again and then playing it again and playing it again because it just was – it was so influential. I was like, this is what I I was hoping someone would say. He articulated so well. Um, this isn't about that in particular, but it is – it's about Strom Thurmond. And he was the longest-serving senator of all time, 48 years in South Carolina. He opposed civil rights over and over and over again. He championed Jim Crow laws. He's generally considered one of the loudest, most powerful voices against equality and desegregation progress in American history. Okay. He died, and then his 78-year-old half-black daughter came forward to identify herself and say, by the way, this was my dad. And he was like 100 years old at this point. And this is David Cross's bit about that. Um, and you know what? I'm, you know, this thing with Strom Thurmond, I got to say, like, you know, that's like certainly uh, uh, not unexpected, you know. But uh, the guy, what really bothers me is that his daughter chose to wait until he died to, uh, you know, come out in the open. And she thus denied all of us that fucking hypocritical piece of shit's explanation, you know? That's what I... I'm angry with her for that, you know? They had to wheel out that guy, you know, just wheel him out into the cameras to explain himself, you know, just wheel him out and plug him in all the things he gets plugged into and, and, you know... Senator, you know, would you like to explain yourself? Uh, Seems to go against everything you believe. Uh, Meh. Anime. And he has an interpreter for him. Uh, The senator says the one thing he's always said, 
And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on now, but I ain't, ain't going to give him a neat way. Uh, Senator says that he will fuck the help, but he will not give them a decent wage. <laughs> and now, that's what I'm mean. My mind. Uh, he says that's what he believes, and pussy's pussy. <laughs> Uh, he says his Johnson is colorblind and it is the bane of his existence. <laughs> Thank you, Senators. Will you back in New York? Oh my god. Tent of hate. That was great. Wow. That's perfect. I oh fucking love that bit so much. And that's such a good bit. Oh, I love that bit. It is there's so much to it. There's so many different things he employs in it. It's so brilliant. Um, and it just clearly shows what he's upset about. But it does it in the silliest, most absurd way. And then I looked up. I was like, does he really sound like that? And Strom Thurmond, near the end of his life, really sounded like, well, I can't, but yeah, let me tell you about this thing. Like, He's like the assistant coach in Waterboy. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy. <laughs> uh, the interpreter aspect is so, because you think he did that bit maybe as just the voice saying all that information clearly or mm-hmm. more clearly. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 no. He just, no. he is, he needs to sound retarded. Excuse the language. And, <laughs> but, but someone needs to interpret his ridiculousness. Yeah. And that's even funnier. It's also it's, great. It's one of the, it shows one of these, one of these truths that people don't like to acknowledge, but it's definitely true. People like funny noises. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's yeah. one of those things. You know, definitely, there's definitely people who are very hacky who lean on just making funny noises but if you're doing it with some skill like yeah. that was a very funny use of some funny ass noises right. like that's that was great he has this incredibly clear point of view right he states it just straight out this hypocritical piece of shit's <laughs> explanation and, and he's mad at her for denying <laughs> us that moment and then he and yeah then, he goes into it in such a great way specific right. like not Hacky, or it was so an ori- it was an original way to get into it. Uh-huh. I'm mad at the person. Yes, I'm that's mad the at good her. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Right, Fucking great fit. That's so good. good. Such a good pick. And and uh, what I like too is he builds some tension there because you're like, what is he doing? Wait, man, man, man. I doing? thought most of his bits are like that. <laughs> he builds up a lot of tension, which is really it's a really cool device. Yeah, uh, yeah. God, he's so fucking funny. And. <laughs> And he gets to get away. Another thing I love that he does is he gets to get away with saying the most horrible things because he puts it in the mouths of the awful characters that he's portraying. Mm. Um, And that is just from a performance standpoint, that is so fun. It's so fun to say awful things. (laughs) It's also nice that um, it's it's nice to see someone who's such a master at like uh, making good choices. Like his decision making, he's been doing it, I guess, like, you know, 20, probably like 30 years. I don't know how long he's been doing it. He's been a long, long time, over 20 years for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a person who's not as skilled and not as experienced maybe would have just like said those things. Yeah. And not like mm-hmm. done a whole act out. Where Found he's, the device where he's for it. Done the act out where he's utilizing three different voices, which is mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got his voice and he's got Strom's voice and he's got the interpreter's voice. And it's, it's, he just weaves it all together perfectly. Uh huh. And it's actually like for David Cross, a lot of word economy there, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> he's a pretty verbose dude. Perfect. <laughs> so fucking funny. Awesome. Voice. Oh, God. 
I've just never. Well, that's from this isn't. It it's is, called. It's not funny. It's, it's not, not funny. And the whole album. The whole album is. By the way, the name of that track is "My Immigrant Mom Talks Funny." That's his <laughs> wow. every. It's all every. It was hard to even find it because he names all these tracks based off of shitty comedy tropes. Yeah. So what did you? What do you think? Um, the oh, way yeah. that influenced you, like now your okay. performance, like were you like, oh, I can yeah. do this thing? Yeah. yeah. So what the influence for me was. Um, what I said, like, if you're in a character, you can get away with saying anything, and the people are on your side if you do it right. And and I loved that. I didn't really realize the uh, power <laughs> of having a character yeah. that could say the horrible things for you that you want to say for the fun of it. I don't know if you get away with saying anything. <laughs> you can get away with saying a lot of things, not anything. Oh, yeah. Well, you can't no. get away with saying anything. If it's I mean, well, can I, if, if the fun, if it's funny enough, if you clear the hurdle, that's a tough one. There's still, I mean, especially nowadays, there's the people will shut down on you depending on what you say and what, and also the person who's saying it, mm-hmm. you know, like people were, people were mad at Bill Maher for using N word, right. Mm-hmm. And they were mad at him for a lot of reasons. Obviously there's people, there's a lot of people who think white people should never use it. Um, there's plenty of people, there's plenty of comedians who have Louis uses it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's people who are like, well, he wasn't funny. So that was a problem. It's like, no. There's people who would have been really upset with it, even if it got a huge laugh from everyone, mm-hmm. except for that. You know what I mean? And it's not one of those things where people are being sensitive. There's definitely a bit of argument to be made that like white people should just keep it out their mouths because they invented it to fucking impress black black people. Yeah. Right. But that's not something that a lot of people could get away with saying. You know what I'm saying? Even if they put it in the mouths of a hateful character, right? Like, they, but there are. They, I mean, I've seen people like like Zach Galifianakis has that classic bit it's like oh you know i hate getting drunk because when i get drunk my southern accent comes out i start saying stuff like y'all and nigger and again that <laughs> that bit always crushes i've never seen it not do well and i laughed at it right and I, i'm not i'm not mad about it but i don't really get mad you know at many at many things people say right um but i don't know if you can get away with saying anything okay right? fine absolute, <laughs> and yeah. you could find a variety but you the let's all right let me define it better uh, I appreciate the precision. I'm just uh, saying, there's, no, there's, cause there's young, there's young, there's people who are like, you know, okay. Young so what, what I what I mean is, who like, this, oh great, I'll just say anything, but as long as it's a character, I'm fair. good to go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, no, please do not give those people, <laughs> do not give those deplorables oh, <laughs> the, the go ahead. <laughs> the correction you're providing is is noted and welcome. <laughs> so uh, let me say instead that put a finer point on it that what you can do is you the scope of things you can say is much broader than when it's in the characters they're not that people are less apt because to because you're, judge well, you're you. not actually being yourself you you're the character so right. you are you're not i you, you've seen i did when we did nothing important i closed on the that captain america bit where it's like that's so it's offensive to holocaust survivors sure. that you just sent a blonde guy in to stop the Nazis and it works and it's like oh well the and then it's like uh Spider-Man uh and slavery is like the thing that's like why like no one would and then I do this thing where I'm Robert E. Lee and he doesn't say anything offensive he's just talking about like him webbing his plantations but I mean like it's so fun to play around it it's also like mucking around and car- making someone cartoonish who is an actual villain and a horrible person and making them seem 
I don't know. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I'm, I'm mainly doing this. I'm probably doing this for myself because I'm just tired of going to open mics and shows and hearing like the worst possible shit. Yeah. I'm like, let me, let me, let me help myself out right now. And not even. I'm doing it for the children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this for the youngsters. And not even in an opinion, but Casey brought up like Rory Scovel, someone that we've played a clip on the line. Great. He's great. But Casey brought up, he's like, he's going to ruin a generation of people coming to open mics because they're going to think you can just yell and they're not going to have anything funny to back up what they're doing. And it's not Rory's fault because he's just a genius and found this beautiful way to be hilarious in an original way. But it, it's going to lead to some bad mics with a lot of screaming. I do wonder if, uh, I do wonder if we talk about influence, we're talking about influence this whole show. I wonder if people's, um, Everything is, there's so many different kinds of comedy and all of them are, seem to be getting shine right now. So like CISO has like all these specials on, right? And Netflix is releasing literally a special a week every year, every every week for the rest of the year. That's their plan. That's, they, are, they have more locked and loaded. So I'm wondering if because there's always different kinds of people influencing everyone uh, and it's so accessible, whether people's period of just like imitating their favorite comic was lasting longer. Because I definitely see like many Caper Lance and many, you know, especially in being in Brooklyn, you see like many Hannibals, like I used to be. Like you see, like and before I started, like back in the old days, you see everyone was a mini Attell, a I mini know, you white know what I mean? Hannibal. So I, like I know there's a white there's a white Hannibal in the scene right now, and it's oh, it's so funny. I know you're talking about, and, it, <laughs> and it's great. But like it's it, it's also but it's also kind of inspirational. Just yeah. like, look how far we've come racially. <laughs> that this white man is imitating this black man. People say you can't imitate a black man and be a white man, and I say yes, I can. <laughs> That's my impression of that yes, guy. We, yes, we can. People say, Chad, you can't imitate a black man and get away with it, and I say yes, watch me, watch me. <laughs> like that's this whole, that's this whole thing. I love, um, I love it when you have a. Uh, a comedian who's so imitatable, like someone who has a cadence like that, or like Tracy Morgan, right? Yeah, and then, Tracy. And then like, but then someone who's a good friend of theirs does them all the time, yeah. but in a completely derisive way, like the way <laughs> Pete Holmes does T.J. Miller, or the way that Pete Holmes does yeah. Hannibal, the way yeah. everyone does Tracy Morgan. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if that will continue more too, because that's actually kind of a positive uh, aspect of it. Like yeah. I love when people are imitated in a way that's like loving, but also very derisive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, it's so fun. Plus <laughs> a mini Tracy Morgan. On the scene, even white ones <laughs> talking about right, kombucha, <laughs> talking about the white man's struggle, <laughs> talking about the all right. <laughs> Yo, I'm gonna write for Breitbart right now. <laughs> Yo, freaking Trump is my biological father. Oh my God. Damn. <laughs> I want to see a white Tracy Morgan imitator so bad. Now. I want to go to open mics and like school someone to become a white Tracy Morgan imitator. Each episode is label is uh, named after a poll quote and you're, I'm, I, I want to see a white Tracy Morgan impersonator at open mics. I'm the white Tracy Morgan. I'm very privileged right now. The cops pull me over, they let me go because I'm Tracy Morgan. But I'm white. The cops pull me over, I'm like, hey, you white too. You should, we should, there's a sketch in this. That sounds so funny. Come on. Let's talk about sex. All right, we have another bit to play, and it, it is picked by Harrison Tweed. Yes, yes. My initial influence was Louis. Uh, he's a person that I was like, I saw, I saw hilarious, and I was like, 
I just I need to do this. But actually, the reason I picked this clip, it's a recent clip. It's from Sarah Silverman's uh, special Specs of Dust. Mm-hmm. Um, 2017 Netflix. Fucking unbelievable. But she does something. And I was just I wanted to bring this up when you're talking about your bit. Um, but I didn't realize that you're an influence on me because <laughs> I didn't. I, you were the first person I you, saw. You got to aim higher. <laughs> no, 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 no. And uh, you did. It's this aspect uh, of what you do that she does in this um, that I've taken, which is uh, um, just be fucking okay with taking your time. Oh, yeah. Take yes. your time to the joke. You don't. I only no just rush. recently figured that out. Well, I feel like. But you, I mean, even that, I mean, I'm not. I haven't figured it out, but I, I just recently started taking my time more. Yeah. Well, you, it's just I heard it in that bit. You just let things sit. You let the thoughts come out and then it's and it's organic and it feels good even though get you said to the it the funny part take your so. time take your time <laughs> oh, get to the funny there's part there's nothing funny about rushing to a punchline well, well the thing is like well the thing is like shorter uh, i think those things aren't opposite so mm-hmm. like shorter is funnier right i think in general but also like taking your time with word economy is the same thing yeah right like you can take your time and you can take your time and get to the funny part quickly because you're using very few words. Well, it's you know? it's I think it's the difference of, of like doing mics and doing shows because you have this cap on your time at a mic. But then you do like 12 minutes on a show. It's like you can really chill in those bits and extend them, make them lo- I like mean, the just, funny thing is, though, like the more you do it, the more you realize that's not very much time either. Oh, like, so yeah. Like, that starts to feel like very restrictive. But it is fun to go in thinking like I want to do these like seven bits and each of them are two minutes during this sure uh, and then realizing you did three and it it took the same amount of time as you thought would take to do like seven minutes. like you were like i want to be able to do all these and then i like, appreciate that compliment oh uh, yeah well uh, I'm because sometimes it is hard to take a compliment so i will <laughs> say thank you instead of challenging you no, no. <laughs> but i think instead I, of insulting I, your compliment i will say thank no, you no well i you, i it's very uh you deserve it you're very uh you're very inspiring man um on and off the stage um <laughs> no, no, oh, it's a piece of shit. Um, no, no. Um, but the reason I picked Sarah's clip is because it's two reasons. She takes her time with it, which is something I realize is is really nice to me. Also, she hard sells something that's funny to her, and she's like, she really the the way this bit starts. I don't want to give anything away, but she really is selling you on something th- she thinks is so funny, and she she even builds it up. This is so funny. Are you ready for it? And the way she does it, it's just, it doesn't disappoint. And I just love that. I learned a fun fact about squirrels that I'm so excited to tell you. I can't, I'm, okay, this is what it is. It's this. Squirrels cannot find 80% of the nuts they hide. Is that the greatest thing you've ever heard in your life? First of all, animals aren't supposed to make mistakes. But secondly, I made this realization that it's going to blow... Hold your skulls in because your brains are going to fucking explode. That's how trees are planted. Are you fucking... That's how trees are planted. 
talented, God or the universe or nature or whatever the fuck created this anxiety ridden, <laughs> paranoid cokehead. <laughs> that thinks that everybody wants their acorns. Nobody wants your acorns. No one else in the world eats acorns. But they hide them everywhere. And then they're so fucked up on coke. You can only find two out of every ten. Squirrels plant trees in Israel. Great. That I added. That's not true. I added that. Oh, that was God. Great. It's so fun. That's the third one I could remember earlier, that she has three of the, my favorite bits of the last few years yep. of this special. I that's the flagged third one. that. What so I love good. about this, I flagged that the moment. I was like, that's the one we're doing on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't talk about it. Oh, God. And then you came in today. You're like, we're doing a squirrel bit. Oh, God. I was just, I, that's one of those specials. I think that's going to be one of those ones I'll watch like once a month or once a week. Instant, instant classic. It's Let's so good. talk so about this. Yeah. Okay. She, she's influential in a lot of, so many different ways. One thing I didn't realize till I watched her is how charismatic you can be by being stationary and not even taking the mic stand out of the mic. I mean, mic out of mic stand. She is so expressive and like such a has such a great uh, delivery. It's just she doesn't need to do anything other than just look at you and talk to you. Yeah, she's like a good mother <laughs> or like a mother figure. She's just she's like mothering the crowd. And she calls them sweet, and she's very like nurturing seeming. I just there's something there's a way about her that's so like clearly genuine and and nice and mm. organic to the way she does stand up and I think that bit epitomizes it. It's also yeah. so great when someone is like enjoying it along with the audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like are you kidding me? I How know. great is that? I love, I love that she's giddy. I love that people do that like uh um she's giddy with the idea. I it. know. Yeah. Just the if you idea. see if you see like John Lester performing, you've seen him lately. No, I love. Oh. He's like one of the best. Yeah. One of the best period. Um Yo, the But he's always like great. right he'll point at the audience. I know, right? Like he when someone yeah. responds to what he's saying and it's, and he's like he always acknowledges. Yeah. He always acknowledges the audience in a way it's, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like he just yeah, yeah. he's so good at doing it and it really adds something. It brings people in and uh-huh. she's doing that. She's like, "I know, isn't that the best thing you ever heard?" Like I love that she's so oh joyously God. enjoying it along mm. with the audience and I like talking at them but it's like talking with them. Yeah. That's really cool. It's so cool. It's so interesting. It's so what specific. What exactly do you think is being employed here? What, how would you characterize this joke? I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's, as I was saying before, it's like a hard, it's like, she's kind of hard selling it up top, like statistically. Cause she's like, you will love this. You're going to love this. Mm-hmm. You're going to love this. Mm-hmm. Um, which is hard to pull off if you're going to like in stand up. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just the perfect combination. Well, with material with amazing persona uh-huh. and like such likability i know so likable and like that's one of those things that also man but, but, but wait 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 wait. so like but there's more to it than just like she's good at it like <laughs> and she it, personifies the animal she's yes. like imagine this schizophrenic yeah. yes. crackhead yes. like just and and it's the fact that it's nature creates this coked out Motherfucker, Anthropon- anthropomorphizes. No one, need, no an one eats acorns, yeah. but you. Yeah. No one no else. One, yeah. No one wants your acorns. <laughs> yeah, Nobody. So fucking funny. Turns that animal into a person. It's really, really great. Mm-hmm. Oh and God. and I like one of the things she does up top. 
I love this because I get excited about learning new things. I get excited about ideas. I love when there's just this thing about the way the world works that just clicks. I love that. And I, it's why I read so many science, so much things about so many things about science and technology and so on. I just, I love when things just fit together like that. This is just a golden ratio kind of thing. And it, it, she just, when she says that, this is what they do. The joy and excitement she mm-hmm. has about learning this thing about the world. That's not something you see in stand-up a lot. No. I Well, that's why I love her and Pete. Because they are hard-selling happiness. Like, wonder, you can be happy wonder. if you, like, look. Look at how happy I am. I want to give this to you. Hey, one Here called, it is. Uh, impregnated by wonder. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's a great, yeah, that's a great it's, summary. It's, and it that's what's sums up his here. persona. She yeah. is transmitting wonder to the audience for a moment all of her specials are titled similar it's like jesus is magic we are miracles a speck of dust Uh Uh, it's just like she has this like overarching theme of like the world is wonderful Mm -hmm. it's i love her so much man and and i and i also love be mine huh (laughs) i said be mine too sarah yeah yeah i just love her so much um (laughs) uh, me too now i'm jealous how come you get to I don't know. I'm Jewish. I know. Oh, so yeah, you're I. Jewish. Shut up. I uh, yeah, I, I love, I also love about this that um, she does a thing where she says, uh, where, where, where she goes, where, thinks everybody wants your acorns, nobody wants your acorns. <laughs> it's just a very simple statement. There's no real joke per se in that. It's true. Also, it's a laughter recognition. Yeah. yeah She's yeah. like, you're the only one to eat acorns. <laughs> <laughs> A huge thanks to our guest, Khalid. He is prolific. You can check out his funny articles on thethings.com. And also you can head over to classicblackdude.com for well-circulated funny article about gentrification. Also, check out Electric Laughs Comedy Show. It is coming back on Friday, September 1st at Franklin Electric in Crown Heights. Follow him at Electric Laughs on Facebook Instagram and Twitter. Again, that's at Electric Laughs on all three. Follow him at Khalid Says on Instagram. Special thanks to Sarah Silverman, Mike Vecchione, David Cross, and as always, a big thanks to Salt and Peppa for not suing us or not yet suing us for using ever so fairly and ever so <laughs> modified tiny smidgen of their now basically unrecognizable song. <laughs> Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets.